Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe and Big Al are all about answering your money questions. Should a self-employed small business owner contribute to a solo Roth 401k? If you max out your Roth IRA contributions and receive a company match, is that over-contributing? And how is that match taxed? How can you avoid volatile markets and sequence of returns risk affecting your required minimum distributions? What should you do about that variable annuity you're locked into? Is my husband really in prison? Uh, The answer to that last one is absolutely not. But before we get into the rest of the answers, let's talk about how the most volatile month of the year affected Spotify and Apple. Now, here are Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. We finished October, Alan. Thank God. (laughs) Wasn't a great October, was it? Historically, it's the most volatile month in the calendar year. Yeah, why is that? I have no idea. But some of the largest crashes have occurred in October. Uh, yes. 1929, 1987. Yes, I remember that one. And, uh, you know, the most significant sell-offs happened in 2008 as well when the meltdown happened. Um, uh, that happened also in October. So if we look at this October, kept up with its uh, reputation. Right. But remember for years we used to make fun of that because October was just as normal as any other month. But it mm-hmm. reared its, its ugly head. Oh, Yes. <laughs> The S&P 500 lost 6.9%, posting its worst monthly showing since 2011. There you go. Wow. Seven years. Imagine that. This performance led to $1.9 trillion in losses. Just gone. Gone. <laughs> it, was, it was there, here today, gone tomorrow. And guess what? It will come back. Yeah. Well, So we're making light of this, and you're probably going, what? why are you guys doing that? The, the thing is, this is what markets do. This actually is pretty normal stuff. Uh, so similar struggles occurred in other domestic indexes. Um, the Dow Jones gave 5.1%. The NASDAQ dropped 92 its largest monthly decline in nearly a decade. Um, so there's a lot of volatility. What is going on? What you know? But I, I think <laughs> yeah. volatile markets are normal, and finally we're seeing some volatile well, markets, and it's okay. It's not time yeah. to to freak out in you know sell and in because there's no way that you can time it to get back in. Yeah, I think that's got to be the biggest takeaway, which which is we haven't had a lot of volatility volatility the last few years. Volatility meanings up and down, up and down, up and down. Uh, it's been fairly steady uh, without big, you know, increases or big declines and the fact that we're having more volatility is consistent with the last 100 years. So this actually is fairly normal. So, uh, you know, th- there's just a lot of noise, I think. It, it, but, but the noise is always there. But for some reason, we get a little bit jittery than other times. Yeah, when the market's down. You know? Well, especially like... Well, no, I'm well, just saying there's always noise. But, I mean, look at last year, for instance. There was zero volatility. Right. But there was things happening in the world. Sure. I mean, it wasn't... What's happening today is nothing. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's kind no, of the it's, same it's stuff. It's no, no worse or better. Right. It's just stuff. So, you know, okay, well, the Fed is in, increasing interest rates. Well, well when the Fed do- increases interest rates, that means the economy is doing okay. They've been working on that the last six years. Six, it's, seven, right. it's not new news. Right. right. And it, it was already priced into the overall market. Correct. You know, you well, know. it's because you know why this is, Joe. It's because all of oh, the midterm elections. Fina- well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I was going to say all the financial pundits, which I don't know if we're in that category or not. I would, I would say no. Absolutely not. <laughs> all the all the other pundits would. Well, they have to they have to describe what happens daily, and so it's almost like you have to make up something. Market went up because of this, or in spite of this, or this, or and it's like you, you drive yourself crazy listening to this stuff. You know, and then it's just trying to time markets too. It's not. 
you, you cannot look at good news or bad news. That's the craziest thing. It, the news has to be as good or as bad as expected. Yeah. Spotify, for instance. Right. Right. They earned a profit. So it's like, wow, Spotify finally earned a profit. Their stock plummeted. <laughs> Yeah, because it was less than what they expected. No, because they were like, "What the hell are you doing, earning a profit? <laughs> we, you could, you put all that money back into the company, right, to get a yeah. larger valuation. Right. You should not be profitable right now. Yeah, you should be reinvesting. You should be reinvesting everything. What are right. you doing, Spotify? Shame on you. We're blowing up your stock. <laughs> but right, but the average person was like, "Hey, they did a profit. That's pretty good news, right?" Well, then no, uh, the market says. I think it was. I think it was on Friday. Apple went way down, and and the and even though they they beat expectations, they beat earnings, right? So they, in essence, they beat expectations. But they they decided to to minimize their reporting. They they're not gonna uh, in they're not gonna disclose the individual unit sales for for iPhone, iPad, and the like. And I guess the market didn't like that. Well, yeah. What are you doing, Cook? <laughs> right. You had a great quarter, but you're holding stuff back on us, right? So we're just gonna blow you up. Yeah. So, yeah. th- I mean, it's great news for the company. Hey, we sold a lot of stuff. We're very profitable. But what does the market do? They react in the negative way. Yeah, because it's different. Because so, uh, it's something different. So, oh, are they hiding is, something or yeah. something else? Right. It, because they react. It's just such a sharp reaction. And then next thing you know, okay, I guess it's okay. Right. I guess the reporting's all right. They're still selling some pretty good, cool stuff. <laughs> They're still making money. Still yeah, growing. Well, uh, unbelievable. Yeah. So. They did, by the way, Apple did hit correction territory. On Friday, what, it lost what six, eight, nine yeah. percent. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think what, it was down it six went on from Thursday. Two twenty-two to two oh nine. You know that Apple they make like thirty, forty percent on uh, those little apps that are on their phone. Uh, no, I don't know the economics behind that, but it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I'm just n- news you can use. Yeah, now. okay, good, good to know. <laughs> just it's running like, out there. That going to change my investment portfolio? No, when you're at a cocktail party this weekend with your CPA buddies. <laughs> That sounds fun, Joe. You want to join me? <laughs> no. I'm just giving you stuff that you might want to talk about. I would not be, I'll be watching football, drinking Coors Lights, and you'll be at a tea party. You go, hey, I'll be at a tea you party. Know what? Hey, what do, you, what do you think about the new limits for the 401k? <laughs> it's hey, really a good I got time. big news, guys. It's uh, Hold on to your seats. Here. Hey, Walter. I want you to sit down. We got a $500 increase on the 401k contribution. Oh, that's it, huh? They're pretty generous. Well, at least they did something because I don't think we they, got yeah, much last did. year. Well, well, yeah, anyway, so uh, 2019. So the, the contribution limit went from $18,500 to 19000 It went up $500. That's if you're under 50. If you're 50 and older, you can add another $6,000 to that. It would be $25,000. Now, this is 2019. Don't get confused. We're still in 2018. So, 2000. So, they didn't increase the um, ketchup. No, they didn't increase the ketchup. They kept that the same. Okay. Uh, they also increased the IRA from $5,500 to $6,000. Again, this is for 2019. So, if you haven't done your IRA yet, you have till April 15th of 2019. You could do $5,500 for 2018 and $6,000 for 2019. Ketchup? Only five hundred bucks. Ketchup is a thousand still. So seven thousand. Seven thousand instead right. of sixty five hundred. There you go. Yep, yep. So those are a couple things you ought to know. And then, uh, well, if you have a simple IRA, the limit went from twelve thousand five hundred dollars, the contribution limit to thirteen thousand, and if you're fifteen older, it's now going to be sixteen thousand. This is for again for two thousand nineteen. If you have a SEP plan, the maximum for next year will be. 
56,000, up from 55. 56, and then I see something here. What's this 64,000? 64,000, the 25B, capital B, small b, 1A for determining retirement savings contribution credit. Oh, yeah. Just in case you guys wanted to know that, that's now at $64,000. <laughs> it's up from 63000 I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> now that is, my CPA buddies are going to get all over that one. <laughs> the retirement savings credit. More people will qualify. You know, that as a, as a CPA that used to prepare returns, that, that was always a surprising credit because our tax software looked for that. None of us looked for it. And when it happened, it goes, oh, look at that. There's a retirement savings credit. If you, In other words, if you have earned income and you put in retirement savings and your income is super low, then you get this credit. See? I'm just prepping you, Dan. Yeah. You're going to be awesome. So you, you actually do have CPA buddies. <laughs> yes, you are going to shine at the party. <laughs> oh, it's un, it's unbelievable. We're gonna, we we oh. might have 100 people there. <laughs> oh, man. Clopine was a hit this week. <laughs> I could never invite you because they wouldn't know what to do with you. Hey, this week on the Your Money, Your Wealth TV show, these two lives of the party are showing you how to keep the volatile stock market from wiping out your retirement savings. And we've got a free investing white paper called Pursuing a Better Investment Experience to go along with it. You can download the white paper, watch the TV show, and subscribe at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. New TV episodes are available every Sunday. In the meantime, our email bag is overflowing with your questions. If you've got a money question, comment, or suggestion for the podcast, send it to us at info at purefinancial.com. Then check the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com because we may have posted a video of your answer. We have a complaint from Christy. <laughs> I don't think it's a complaint. She's just supplementing one of our answers. She goes, hi, Joe and Al. Love the show, especially the fact you address tax and investing issues at the same time and all in a very straightforward and entertaining way. Thanks. I have a question, but wanted... To add something to your answer on the October 23rd podcast about the benefits of a solo 401k. Um, so she goes into a very good explanation of a solo 401k. Um, I think we might have just shortcutted a solo 401k just through passing of maybe a, a recommendation that we made for a certain individual. That could be. I think our buddy Mac in uh, Brookfield, Connecticut, about his wife being a dentist and she has a solo 401k. Right. And so she went through um, a lot of great benefits of a solo 401k. So for those of you that don't know what a solo 401k is, Al, what is that? Well, you can actually set up your own private 401k if you have your own small business and you don't have any other employees. Now, you can have your, your spouse can be an employee. That counts as, as one or solo. But if it's just you, then you can set up your own private or we call it individual or solo 401k. And it's just an account. It's very, it's very simple. It's, you don't need an actuary. You don't need these. There's not fees to set these things up or administer or even terminate. So very simple. And you can put a lot of money into it. 18500 in, uh, in 2018 and uh, 24500 if you're 50 and older. And, then, and, uh, that, and that's the employer part. No, I'm sorry, employee. E. Sorry, employee part. And then you can also put um, like a little profit sharing. You can. Um, on top of it. Yeah, and that's and that's 20% of your profits. Unless you're an S corporation, then it's 25% of your salary. And so with that being said, 
you could put a lot more than eighteen five. You can or twenty four. You can actually, if you look at the employee and employer part, you can actually put fifty five thousand dollars into these plans, assuming that you have two hundred seventy five thousand dollars of comp. Uh, of that, that, that's what you would need to do that. Right. But, but, so if you made fifty thousand dollars, you couldn't shelter. 18 and 18, no, right? 18, no. 5, 18, 5. You yeah. have, 18.5 is a dollar for dollar contribution on any 401k plan. So if you have a small business and you make $20,000, you can contribute $18,500 of almost your entire comp. You got to pay payroll comp, so I don't know what that computation is, but pretty dang close yeah. to 100% of your compensation. Right. And so what Christy was saying is that, hey, well, you guys kind of forgot to mention that you could put a lot more into it. And she's absolutely yeah, right, she which right. we love the solo 401k for that fact. Because right. what, what we see is that a small business might have a SEP plan. And so a SEP plan is just that same computation. It's a percentage of profits if I'm a solo um, um, sole pro- uh, practitioner or a sole prop. Right. But if I go a solo 401k plan, I can go dollar for dollar, and then I can add on top of that as my match, if you will, quote unquote, to get more money and up to that $55,000 limit. Yeah, and I will say one more thing. If if you're a business owner and you're 50 or older, you can also do the $6,000 catch-up on top of the $55,000, so you can actually put in $61,000 if you have enough income to be able to justify that. Uh, she also went on to discuss another huge advantage is that there could be a Roth component of a solo 401k, which yeah. she is absolutely right. We love that. So you could go 18500 into the Roth, and then you could put in the, the profit sharing or the match, and you could pre-tax that thing. Yeah. Right? So you could kind of toggle back and forth and get best of both worlds. You can get a tax deduction, and you can get a ton of money into a Roth 401k or, or yeah. a Roth plan. And I think it's important to mention, Joe, that on the employee E part you can do a, a regular four hundred one k or a Roth four hundred one k. The employer part, the it's profit sharing part, that's always pre tax. That's that's a that's a traditional four hundred one k part. And then uh, she goes on. Finally, you can invest in a much wider range of investment options, including individual stocks and so on and so forth. So um, that is great information. Thank you, Christy. But now for her question. Okay. Alan. Good. I have a solo traditional four hundred one k. My husband is a W two employee. And has both Roth and traditional op- options in his 401k plan. This year, he started contributing half of his retirement savings of the 24-5 into each of those after many years of contributing only to the traditional plans. He's 50, she's 45, and we're in the 24% tax bracket filing jointly. At current tax rates, we'll likely be in the 22% bracket in retirement so far. The vast majority of my existing retirement savings, amounting to about uh, 165000 like his, are traditional IRAs, traditional 401ks. Would there be any advantage for me also to put some of my contributions into the solo Roth 401k, especially when it comes to tax diversification in retirement and given the fact that I'm younger? I love the idea of Roth. And ideally, I could invest um, relatively aggressively in a Roth, and see a big benefit down the road, especially if tax rates go up in the future. Should I continue to contribute to my account based on my age and diversification situation, or should I not worry about that since we're putting half of my husband's savings in a Roth? Obviously, there are a lot of variables, so this kind of philosophical question... Oh, gosh, that was close. <laughs> you, you got it? There. I got it done. 
<laughs> about retirement income buckets and how much the spouse situation should inform a personal investment decision. Thank you very much. Wow, um, that's well thought out question. Very well thought out, Christy. Um, Alan, let me see your calculator real quick. Okay. <clears throat> so, if I look at Christy, she's got one hundred sixty-five thousand dollars saved, right? And she is putting eighteen thousand five hundred dollars in. She's forty-five, and she does that for the next twenty years at seven percent. That is going to be one point four million dollars, right? And that's not even including the employer match. That's not including employer match, and that is not including her husband's contributions. Correct. So, Christy, just taking a look in the future here, right? If you continue to do the things that you're doing, as long as you have a globally diversified portfolio, and assuming a seven percent rate over 20 years. Sure. That could be aggressive, that could be conservative depending on what you want to do. Yeah. I I'm with you. I think you're right on of looking at tax diversification. Two reasons. Alan's going to give you the CPA <laughs> math approach. I'm going to give you the real life approach. Okay. You're not going to remember the tax savings that you're getting today. You're 45 years old. You've got 20 more years potentially to work. And the the, the, the couple of bucks you're saving in taxes because you went pre-tax versus Roth, in 20 years when this $1.4 million is all in a Roth versus a retirement account that's going to be taxed at ordinary income rates, you're going to be like, I am the happiest woman in the world. Twenty-two <laughs> percent tax bracket in the future. Well, tax rates those those rates are going to expire. Right. That's so, that, that's how it's currently stated. So you're going to be probably in the twenty-five percent tax bracket, or maybe twenty-eight. Even. Correct. Now you got a one point four. Let's say your husband is doing the exact same thing. He's got one point four. Yeah. Now that's a pretty big number. Right. Right. So depending on what you want, and if it's all in deferred accounts, then you got. I I love the fact that, all right, you're in the 24% tax bracket now. You think you'll be in the 22. The 22 is actually the 25, potentially. Right. Right? I like 24. I'd go Roth. Yeah. I, don't... I would go full Roth on both, and then with your profit-sharing component of it, go pre-tax, because you have to. Yeah, I actually agree with you 100%. Wow. For the same reasons. Uh, so Done. For, so first of all, the CPA part of me says... You're going to be in a in a higher tax bracket in retirement because that's what rates are scheduled to do. To Allegedly, Alle- well, that's what they are scheduled to do. But who knows what will but really she happen? Could blow up her investments. Sure. So, so that one point four, she could be broke. So yeah, well, it could. Ass- with the, the assumptions, <laughs> I'm just being compliant. Yes, here, very good. Okay. All right, let me try to spit out my comment. Okay, sorry. <laughs> what was my comment? And anyway, so my comment is I completely agree. So the tax rate will likely, or at least as it's scheduled to be right now, you'd be in a higher bracket in retirement. But I also agree, Joe, with, with what you said, which is what we find is people that do the traditional, they save a couple bucks in tax, and then they spend it, and they don't remember it. And then in retirement, they got all this money, they got to pay all this tax. And so I completely agree with that thinking. The other part of this is the employer part, you call it the match and profit share, that part has to be pre-tax, so why don't you just do the the employee part as a Roth? I completely agree with that. So if you look at it, I'm not sure where Christy lives, um, but by putting the $18,500 pre-tax, she probably has a $5,000 tax savings. Yeah. Give or take. Sure. If she's in a higher stat, uh, state tax. I think seem to remember she's in Seattle. Seattle, I don't. Oh, oh well, hey. then it's there's no. It's, it's a little rainy. <laughs> yeah, and there's no state tax in Seattle, so it's only federal in that case. Yeah, and then maybe she would like to come down to San Diego with right. her husband to visit. You know, 
Joe and Big Al. And maybe. Maybe ends up retiring in yeah. sunny Southern California. Right. And then you got 10% on the state. Right. Well, maybe Roth might be a pretty good idea. So she's probably saving $4,500. Yeah. Well, you did. You're bring... not going to remember the $4,500 20 years from now when you got $1.4 million sitting in a Roth, well, allegedly, hypothetically. And, and, and you bring up a good point, which is if you're in Washington State, which has no taxes, so you're not getting a huge benefit, just federal only. If you do move to another state, you want a little bit more sunshine in retirement, you're going to be paying taxes. So you would want more money in a Roth for that reason, too. So, yes, I love the fact that tax diversification, for you saving that much that you have excess cash flow, um, you see in the light a little bit. Hey, I got $165,000. Splitting it half and half, you could do it that way. I thought Alan was going to give a more of a CPA approach to say, well, what tax bracket are you in? Right? And well, she, say, already, she already told us. Well, no, not necessarily. We don't know what our taxable income is, is no, what I meant. I'm, go- I'm just going with this at face value. Right. So, it, But I guess a more maybe scientific approach could be this, Christy, if you really want to dive in the weeds and say, well, what's my taxable income? And then you look at, all right, well, how much should I go pre-tax potentially to put me in that lower bracket and then put everything else into Roth? Mm -hmm. So you can kind of toggle this that way as well. Or you could say, you know what, I'm, I'm already saving for the future. And if I believe that the tax code is going to stay how it's written today, that tax rates will go up and the Roth will continue to be tax-free, then that's what I would do. Right. So Now, and, and the, the final point I want to say, and, and she already said this, which is if there's more money in the Roth and you have a diversified portfolio, naturally some of those components are going to be more aggressive. You stick those components in the Roth, obviously they're more volatile, they go up and down more, but over the long term, they tend to outperform and you end up with keeping more of your investments that right. way. Right. I mean, so she's right on. She's, she talked about asset location, putting higher asset classes in a, in a pool of money that's going to grow tax-free. Congratulations. She looked at tax diversification. She looked at current rates versus future rates. Yeah. She's saving the maximum. And then she's also doing some homework on a solo 401k to say, hey, you know what? There's a lot more that you can potentially do this, with this. Yeah. Um, it's I one, don't know. one of the best questions we ever had. Christy, if you I, um, I would say if you want a job, Cindy. Hire, uh, uh, <laughs> Christy, uh, we, uh, we, yeah, we need we might advisors. We an office in uh, Seattle, Washington. <laughs> we got Marion from Fresno. Hello, Marion. Uh, Marion is 36. I max contribute to my Roth 401k 18,500 and my Roth IRA of 5,500. My question is I'm over contributing when my employer matches my Roth 401k contributions. Uh, how does the IRS tax the matching contributions? Uh, two things. First of all, the match does not um, is not part of the equation of your maximum contribution limit, so don't worry about it. You're doing the 18.5. If they match you another 18.5, you're you're totally fine. It's fantastic, right? Yeah. So don't worry about that. Uh, how are IRS taxing the matching uh, contributions? It's pre-tax to you because they're getting a tax deduction for that contribution. Uh, so it's going to be taxable um, when, when, when you, you pull when it you out. take it out. Yeah. Something else that could happen is if her if she has a traditional 401k rather than a safe harbor, there may be top-heavy rules, and so maybe that's why you're having to pay some back. And so that's a whole different discussion. That that's when that happens when you're in a company and the highly paid people are contributing and the lower paid people are not. Then there's all these rules that the actuary have to figure out and say, all right, this this plan is top-heavy. So instead of putting in eighteen thousand five hundred, you can only put in sixteen thousand five hundred, and you got to take some back. So that that could be going on here too, potentially. Could, um, but I think for the most part. 
if if you're looking at what's the max I can put into my 401k plan, it's eighteen thousand five hundred plus whatever match. Yeah. The maximum contribution allowable limit for a defined contribution plan for twenty nine eighteen is what, fifty four thousand? Fifty four thousand, yes. All right. Yeah. So fifty four thousand dollars is the maximum defined contribution. Um, amount that someone can put in. So if you're self-employed and you have a self-employed um, pension plan, a SEP or something like that, or a profit sharing, so on and so forth, that's the maximum allowable. So you, you know your your few thousand dollar match on the eighteen five, which is phenomenal. It's not going to hurt you in in any form. Um, it's just an added benefit that the employer's giving you. Uh, but the benefit is for them too. So they're giving you cash. They're getting a tax deduction for that cash. So when you do take those distributions out, just know that um, they're going to be taxable. And then that leads to another topic real quick, Al, is that I have a Roth 401k. So Marion's putting in the 18.5, and she's got the Roth um, IRA of 55, 18.5, 55, 24, pounding away, right? And 36, maybe she's got a decent-sized balance. Um, is Marion a boy's or a girl's name? Marion? I think a, it can be either, but... Or, I'll just say Marion then. Sorry. Yeah. Um, don't, don't say he or she. <laughs> so, <laughs> Marion, you can do this. Yes. <laughs> right. All of a sudden, now that match starts building up. If Marion works for the company for a long time, it's like, all right, well, now I got Roth dollars. Now I got pre tax dollars. It's pro rata taking dollars out. So let's say you had $100,000 in your 401k plan, $75,000 of it was Roth, $25,000 of it was the match that was pre-tax for a total of $100,000. You take a dollar out of the plan, $0.75 cents is going to be tax-free, but $0.25 cents is going to be taxable. So that's how that pro rata ratio works. So just be aware, if you really love that 401k plan, just know it's not going to be nearly as efficient when you start taking distributions from that plan versus rolling that money out into a separate Roth IRA and putting the, the, the pre-tax or the match dollars into an IRA. Yeah, I agree with that. And, of course, that only applies when you're 59 and a half or when you're re- retired, right? Yes. Because that's when you're pulling money out. But she's and 36, or Marion's 36. I'm just saying long-term, long-term planning. Yeah. The, the match could build up to some right. substantial. So, so, so the, the point is when you get to that point where you're ready to start distributing, then go ahead and do a, a, a rollover. So you take the Roth part, Roth 401k part, that goes right to your Roth IRA. You take the other part, the employer match, and that goes to your regular IRA. Have you ever noticed when you hear great strategizing like this, it makes you think of questions about your own situation? Well, here's your chance to get them answered. Email info at purefinancial.com. Video of Joe and Al answering Christie's email is now in the show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast while you're there, because next week we'll be talking to Dr. Stephen Wendell, the head of behavioral science at Morningstar, about easing the retirement crisis. If you're not sure how to subscribe to the podcast, you'll find a video of that in the show notes as well. Visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com. We got April from New Lenox, Illinois. Nice. Wow. I don't know where New Lenox is. I actually looked it up. It's outside of uh, Joliet. Yes. So Chicago. Juliet? Joliet. Joliet. You know where the prison is. I don't know where prisons are. (laughs) Did you ever see the Blues Brothers movie? (laughs) Yes, I have. Okay. They were in Joliet. Oh. But you don't necessarily know where all the prisons are in the no, country. No, that's where it's Andy's husband's at. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? She goes to Chicago Office. Now, now we know why. Yeah. <laughs> that was completely made up, by the way. All right. This is from April. Okay. 
Hopefully she's not calling or emailing us from. I like this question. We saved paper. We, it's yes. on a third of a sheet. <laughs> um, so all right. We're, we're being green. So April says, I don't plan on taking any money out of retirement funds until I'm required to do so. I understand the damage that may be caused by sequence of return risk, but what can I do when I have a required minimum distribution at the same time? April, that's a wonderful question, and let's first explain and dive in to two different topics here. There's sequence of return risk, and then there's a RMD. Right. So I will talk about sequence of returns, and you okay. can talk about RMDs, and then we can both tackle her question. Okay, good. Okay. Sequence of return risk is this. Is you can the, – the, I guess the industry likes to talk about average rates of return. Sure. Right? If you average 6% over the next 20 years, you get X amount of dollars. So, Alan, you have a portfolio. I have a, a totally different portfolio, and maybe – we average 6% over a 20-year time period, but our portfolios are going to react or do different things each and every year. Right. Some years, you might have a 20% rate of return where I could have a negative 5% rate of return. And then the following year, we could have the opposite effect depending on what we're invested in. Yeah. So let's say I have a portfolio and my portfolio went down the first several years and yours went up. But by the time we got to 20 years, we both averaged 6%. We're going to have a whole different investment experience and a, amount of money to actually to live off of. We will have the same exact amount of money at the end of that 20 years. But throughout that 20-year time period, we probably had different experiences if we didn't pull any money out. Well, yeah. Let me qualify what I said. That That's when you're taking distributions, right? When you're adding money to a portfolio, an average rate of return means just that. You can use an average rate of return. So follow me here. Okay. <laughs> you have a portfolio. I have a portfolio. It's different. So if we accumulate wealth over a 20-year time period, we have a different investment experience, but we have the same dollar figure at the end of the 20 years. Do you agree with that? If we started with the same amount and we didn't add or take any away. Correct. I agree with that. Okay. So that's what, That was your point. That was my I, point. I went ahead. Sorry. Now, <laughs> when you start taking dollars out, the sequence of those returns mean everything. Right. Because now I'm taking distributions. I'm not just letting this thing ride. I'm taking dollars out of the overall portfolio. So if the market is down, I'm taking dollars out. And then guess what? Oh, now I'm lost money from the market and I'm pulling dollars out. It's very difficult for me to get caught back up. I use this example quite often, but let's say you lose 30% one year, you gain 30% the next year, your average rate of return over those two years is zero. Right. But if I have $100,000 and I lose 30%, that's $70,000. Then I gain 30% on that 70 grand, that's only 21. So I don't even have my $100,000 back. So how could my average rate of return be zero? Right. Right? So you have to look at the geometric return, if you will. It's very complicated, Alan. I know. Well, you have to, yeah, you have to look at the cumulative rate of return, not one year and another, and then average those. You want to be accurate. I'm still trying to figure out what a geometric return is. It is. It's that you need to. It's exactly what I said. <laughs> anyway, so that's sequence of returns. You want me to talk about RMDs? Please. Yes. <laughs> RMD, required minimum distribution. So this is uh, the IRS uh, allows you to put money to 401k or an IRA or a 403b, but they want you to start taking out that money at age 70 and a half. You can take it out earlier. 
59.5 is the earliest you can take it out without a 10% penalty. You can take it out actually at any point. Pay the tax and penalty. If you're over 59.5, you don't pay the penalty. 70.5 is when you have to take it out. And the amount that you have to take out is based upon a factor, and it's a little under 4% of the balance. So if you have $100,000 in your IRA, you got to take out a little bit less than $4,000 in your first year, and then that will go up generally each and every year. So April's question, going full circle, is that, all right, if I have to take a required minimum distribution out of my overall account, so that means I have to take the investment out of my retirement account, and when the market is down, that means, right, I have to sell the investment while it's down, so it's a double whammy. I'm right. forced to take the money out. I got to sell the investment, take it out of my retirement account, and then either spend it or reinvest it and then pay the tax. So now I'm selling it at a lower value, paying the tax on it, losing even more money. How do I avoid all of this? Well, if it's in an IRA, April, you do not have to sell the investment. So here's what you do. You just you can journal shares out of the IRA into a brokerage account. So you don't necessarily have to sell it. You have 15 shares of Apple. You just journal 15 shares out of your IRA into a brokerage account so you're not selling the overall investment while it's low. You still have the same amount of shares. April 15th, the following year, you have some cash. You just pay the tax there. Yeah, so that, that, that way you still have the same investments. If it's in a 401k, however, that cannot be done. Right. You will have to take a full distribution out of the 401k. You can't journal shares because it's in a 401k plan. It has to be distributed out of the 401k plan. And then you have to pay the tax, cash it out, and then reinvest it. So it could be an opportunity for someone to roll their money into an IRA. So that's one way that you can avoid some of that. But that's, that, that's usually it. I remember back in 08, 09, um, the IRS did give a forgiveness on the required distribution just because the market plummeted so much and then people... The, they didn't have to look at the balance on a certain year. I'm just going off a of memory here. Yeah, it was sometime during the Great Recession. You are right. So the, usually you look at the balance of your account on December 31st, and then you say, okay, well, what is the balance? And then you take your percentage as a required distribution out of the account, and you have to satisfy that required distribution over that 12-month period. Yeah. And so they have done this once before. I don't know if they've done it before that. But they said, well, you don't have to take that December 31st balance because it was a lot higher. Everyone lost a ton of money. And then you're telling me I have to take, let's say, 4% out of this lot larger balance. Let's say I had a million dollars. Now I have 500 grand. You want me to pull $40,000 out of the thing when it's worth 500 grand? You're killing right, me. Right, right. Um, yeah, and, and I would say that's that. your answer is true if you don't really need the funds. Because, in other words, you just if it's an IRA, you can keep the same investment. Now, if you do need the money, if you need the money for living expenses... Well, then maybe what you ought to look at is a little bit more balanced portfolio in your IRA that has a fair amount of safety, like bonds, for example, or cash-like investments, so that, that when the market's down, when it goes down, you pull money from those accounts to spend instead of your stock accounts that are down. Yeah, and so that's planning up to those retirement dates, where what does your portfolio look like today? When do you need the money? And then making sure that you do the appropriate planning with the overall portfolio to make sure that it's set up appropriately. Sure. And I think a lot of times people don't necessarily do that. We've had a fairly good run in the overall markets, and it's like, hey, this is pretty cool, right? I'm making some good returns on my money. Right. I, I know I should switch. I know I should probably get a little conservative. I know I, sh I should take some chips off the table. Right. But guess what? They don't do it until what? Until it's too late. Until it's too late. <laughs> 
Because that's human nature. Yeah, I mean, then the market blows up. It's like, damn, I should've, knew I should have. I, I knew it. I knew I should have done that. And so, and it's always easy in hindsight to say, well, I should have done it. But right. you could have said that a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, five years ago. I mean, there's always reasons to do it, and you didn't, and then you waited. And Well, I mean, a balanced, diversified portfolio is you know the best thing in down markets, and it's like a very frustrating thing in in up markets. Agreed. Yeah, because you're not getting market return. You're not getting. Oh, you know, hey, well, look at you. You hear the Dow Jones is. You hear the um, S and P and things yeah. like that. Well, they're up five percent, four percent, six percent. You're only up one. Right. It's like, well, this stinks. Yeah, this doesn't work very right. well. Right. But then all of a sudden, when the market's down ten and you're yeah. even, right? All right. Or you're down four. Yeah. Uh, it still sucks that you're down four, but at least you're not down ten. You got yeah. some downside protection. And, there. and the same thing happens when you have international stocks and international is not doing as well. They call that tracking error. You think you should be getting S and P returns, but you're not because you got a diversified portfolio. If you're in Southern California or will be visiting, and you want to hear more about how diversification helps in times of market volatility, you're invited to our office in San Diego for a free lunch and learn on Thursday, November 29th at 11 a.m. Pure Financial Advisors Director of Research Brian Perry, CFP, CFA, will go over the state of the markets, what's predicted for 2019, end-of-year tax strategies, ways to reduce taxes in retirement, and more. Visit the show notes for today's episode at yourmoneyyourwealth.com for the link to sign up. The Lunch and Learn is free and lunch is included. Now let's talk annuities. Uh, we got Merv from Tacoma, Washington. What are my options when I'm locked into a variable annuity contract? Okay, Merv, let's see what you got here. Let's say you. A couple of years ago, I decided to move my investment money into a different firm. One of their programs they sold us was to transfer some money out of my 401k plan into their variable annuities. I do admit that I didn't fully understand that this is what they were selling. Apparently, the annuity is invested into ultra-conservative funds. My regular 401k made about 15% gains where the annuity is making somewhere like 2 to 3% during the same time frame. I decided I want to withdraw from this annuity and the investment advisor that sold it to me and found out that there is a substantial penalty if I withdraw my money before five years. So essentially, I'm stuck with it. I'll be sitting up a meeting with the advisor very soon, and I need to know my options. Can I leave the money in the annuity so I don't incur the penalty, but manage it myself? Merv. All right. So we got a little issue here. Yeah, we do. So let, well, let's go back one second. So how do you roll a $75,000 out of your 401k? You just transferred his 401k into a variable annuity, into an IRA. Oh, roll, roll to an IRA that buys an annuity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the step I was missing. Okay. I'm, I'm, it's, it, it doesn't say in the email yeah. here, but I'm, I'm that's, guessing that's what happened. Yes. He moved money out of a 401k plan, and he rolled it into an IRA, and then the individual sold him a variable annuity inside his IRA. So then the second point is he was making 15%, I guess, per year. He doesn't say that, but I'm assuming 15% gains. I guess that's what that means. Mm -hmm. And the stock market has done rather well. And, and, but that's the, I guess the takeaway there is that's not typical. So you can't necessarily count on that. Well, there's a tale of two things here. One is that he's mistaking rates of return with the product. He's like, all right, well, if he was in the market, in this 401k plan, and if he's in the market in the variable annuity, you could still get roughly 13, 15% gains, especially last year. Yeah. This year, it's a totally different story. If you're in a globally diversified portfolio, you're probably getting close to 2 or 3%. So he might be thinking, Mer might be thinking, hey, you know what? I was in this great product because it was giving me 15%. Now I'm in this other product. Now I'm only getting 3%. 
it could be just a function of the overall allocation within the portfolio. The variable annuity is a wrapper. All right. So let's break this down a little bit. Variable annuity is a, an insurance contract, first of all, okay, that you can invest in investment like mutual fund like um, investments. So when he says that he's in ultra conservative funds in the annuity, he can probably change that. Sure. Yeah. I would say most variable variable annuity contracts have they have from conservative to aggressive yeah, investments. Yeah, they probably, you know, I mean, it's like almost like a 401k plan of choices. Right, Sometimes sure. you, I've seen 50 different stupid choices in those right, things. Right, right. Right? So I'm guessing this is what happened to Merv. I don't know Merv, uh, but he's looking for options. But I think you have to start with the education piece first. All right, why did he go into the variable annuity to begin with? And what a variable annuity contract does, it can allow for some guarantees, so maybe he was thinking, hey, this this market is pretty high. Maybe I want to be a little bit more conservative, and I want some guarantees. That could be one reason. Um, so if, if Merv were to pass away, there would be maybe a guarantee of principal at his passing that would go to his beneficiaries. There could be like a guaranteed income benefit rider within the variable annuity contract. Uh, so maybe that's why he purchased it. Maybe the insurance or agent or the advisor wanted to generate a large commission, and maybe that's why he bought it. I'm not sure. sure. I wasn't there. Right. So the question is, can he get out of the thing? Sure, you can get out of it. But he's like, hey, I got this big sales charge. If I were to look at the sales charge, I bet you he would be better off to take it out, rip the Band-Aid off, and get out of the product if he truly wants to get out of the product, because the internal fees are probably probably breaks even in a year and a half. Yeah, probably. So, so in other words, the internal charges. Let's just say they're three percent, for example. Hypothetically, yeah, hypothetically. And let's just say it's a five percent surrender, right? So, in a in less than two years, you've made up those fees anyway. So, so do you want to hold on to the product for five years and pay three percent a year for the next five years? Yeah, so that's fifteen over that. Or time. would you rather just pay the five and get out of it? And then go to Vanguard and buy a, a no loan mutual fund. Yeah, low cost. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. You you tell me, <laughs> right? So the answer is yes. He can get out of this, Merv. Sure. Yes, you can get out of it. You will have to pay that surrender charge, but it might be cheaper in the long term, depending on what your alternative is. You don't get out of the annuity contract, pay the surrender charge, and then get into another high cost product, right? That would be very bad. So you don't want to do that. If you don't want to pay the surrender charge, can you manage it? Yeah, but you're still paying your advisor. He's still getting paid on that thing. So you can you could do a 1035 um, exchange into a low-cost annuity, but you would still have to pay the surrender charge to get out of it. Yeah. So that doesn't make any sense. You could uh, distribute 10% per year, right? Yes, very good point. Without paying penalty. So in other words, if you got three years to go, you do 10% this year, 10% next year, 10% the following year, and then you've got 30% out, and then you, then you surrender it at that point. So if you're looking at apples to apples versus a variable annuity versus a mutual fund portfolio, there's no reason to go into a variable annuity, in my opinion, if you're just looking for the investment options. There's higher costs involved because of the guarantees involved within the annuity contract. Yeah, and, and to be fair, you're getting something for those fees. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you're getting downside protection and things like that. If, well, it depends. If he, it depends on the variable annuity contract. I, I don't know if he's getting downside protection. Maybe if he dies, then that guarantee will come. Sure. There could be a, a, a benefit for income. 
Um, so if he doesn't want to worry about it and he's fine with a lower rate of return and says, all right, insurance company, I want a guaranteed income for the rest of my life. I'm going to turn this thing on and all of a sudden it spits on income for him. Well, that, you know, that's a benefit. Sure. Um, does it make sense? Uh, I, I, with, with, within a vacuum, it's very, very hard to tell. Alan and I are not um, a huge proponents of this strategy of using a variable annuity. We feel that they're fairly high, high in cost and, and the benefits don't outweigh the fees. Well, and I think, can we say as fee-only advisors that we don't ever get paid on a commission? Most fee-only advisors do not recommend variable annuities. Well, I disagree with that because we have clients. There's, We probably manage $20 million in variable annuities. Okay. But that wasn't our recommendation. It was, too. It was? Yes. And why would it be our recommendation? Because they were non-qualified variable annuities that were in a very high-fee contract and to get out of them, they would have to pay a ton of tax. Right. Oh, so no, we exchanged I, no, them I, I, into a no cost, no load, I, no, no commission, yeah, a variable Well, annuity. I agree with that, but we weren't the first ones that says, here, take this chunk of money and it, put, but, in, we, put yes, it in a variable annuity. Very true. We have not done that. No, we be, have not. Just to be clear. Got it. Uh, but just to be honest and transparent, we do have variable <laughs> annuities. Um, but they're a very low cost option. I think yeah. it's, what is it, Emeritus? Like I think so, like yeah. 200 bucks a year? Yeah, or, I don't know, but it's low. Something like that. All right, so is that pretty good on that variable annuity? Did we answer that, beat that thing to death? All right. Arthur from San Diego. Uh, should my wife keep her annuity from um, a previous job or convert it to an IRA? Okay. Oh, that's easy enough. My yeah. wife just learned she has an annuity from a company she worked for uh, over 20 years ago. She will be eligible to withdraw the funds in a couple of months. A friend told her that she should roll it into an IRA because there would be no penalties and she could withdraw the funds from an IRA also without penalties. Should she keep it in an annuity or convert it to an IRA? Uh, well, again, I think people get the, the shell and the investment a little confused. Right. She's got a 401k inside the 401k that's an annuity, right? Is that what that's telling us? Or maybe it's a TSA. I'm guessing maybe it was like a tax sheltered annuity. I, it could be a profit sharing plan or that, something that like had, that too. that has a payout, or she could take the lump sum. I, I don't know. But let's just say it's a retirement account through an employer, and the the employer chose an annuity as the investment option for the plan. Okay. All right. All right. So the advice, or what Arthur's asking us, is that should she keep it in that particular plan, or should she roll it into an IRA? Right. Well, what are you going to invest in in the IRA, Arthur? <laughs> if it's going to be another annuity, don't do it. Right. If it's going to be stocks, bonds, mutual funds, well, cash, CDs. It goes, goes back to Merv's question. It, it, it depends on a lot of things, but one is, what, is there a surrender? I mean, maybe you don't want it. If, if 20 it, years ago, how about there was a surrender? Yeah. She bought it 20 years ago. I think she could get out of it in eight years. <laughs> <laughs> But well, we we're making a million assumptions here. Yeah. But but yeah, you're you're right, Joe. So it, and 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 it may just be a profit sharing account. I I don't know. I have no idea. But but the thing is, the IRA you you probably have more investment choices. Uh, but if if I, it depends whether there's surrender charges or not, depends upon the the particulars of the annuity. Yeah, Arthur, go for it. Do it. Just roll the thing into an IRA. <laughs> there you go. 
That's it for us today. Thanks for listening. For Big Al Clopine, I'm Joe Anderson. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. We'll see you next time. To learn more about annuities, check the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com for links to a previous episode and a blog post all about annuities and other insurance products. Join us next week on Your Money, Your Wealth to hear Morningstar's head of behavioral science, Dr. Stephen Wendell, tell us how to ease the retirement crisis. Find links in the show notes to subscribe on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Player FM, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and now you can even listen to the Your Money, Your Wealth podcast on YouTube. Email your money questions to info at purefinancial.com or call 888-994-6257. Listen next time for more Your Money, Your Wealth presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it.